every, every year, as you would guess, we have the opportunity of, of revisiting the major Christian focal points of Christmas and Easter and making a decision, uh, it's a rather easy one to make, but of making a decision to either parrot some party line of whatever lineage of Christianity might be represented, or with a degree of honesty, I believe, to seek what might be called possibilities overlooked, sort of AKA a road less traveled, and see within the two great pivotal anchors concerning the life of Jesus, that today within it, as interpreted and represented by over 20,000 different belief structures called denominations or sects, each to one degree or another, teaching that theirs is the correct or the God sanctioned version of truth. And some even go so far as to forthrightly state that those outside of their family of belief and teaching are forever damned by a God they would probably agree to be the essence of love. They are totally oblivious, unaware. Spoke to the birth of Jesus, um, not as miraculous, as in born of a virgin, or with any other evidence to the immaculate conception of Mary herself, a cornerstone of a very large religious organization within our world, but simply born of a woman. Now, this letter was written, the letter to the little church at Galatia, around 58 A.D., which was about 25 years after the crucifixion. And yet the first gospel written, Mark, no earlier than 70 A.D., a decade plus after Paul's letter, and Paul would have had access to many stories and even firsthand witnesses. And apparently none conveyed the message to him of a virgin birth, simply born of woman. And the Gospel of Mark, the first Gospel, contains no mention, the first Gospel chronologically, contains no mention of the birth whatsoever. Neither is one to be found, except possibly in esoteric terms, in the last of the four Gospels, or John. Matthew and Luke, they seem to vie for who can <clears throat> best embellish the story and bring into play all the supportive cast of characters as well as the stage set upon which the birth takes place. Actually, history isn't short of virgin birth stories of others whose life preceded Jesus. So what if the writers of Matthew and Luke or for that matter, the later proofreaders and scribes borrowed a bit and embellished the story of the birth of Jesus to make it appear to be so very unique? What if? Better is the question, I believe. So what? 
Isn't the true basis of Christianity the life and ministry of Jesus and not necessarily his birth? Which if indeed is this unique, non-repeatable experience, then his message is even more made distant than the span of 2,000 years could do. True, the focus on the virgin birth, which then very easily morphs into the understanding of Jesus as being the exception and not the example, is the foundational cornerstone of most groups who would call themselves Christian. But exploring possibilities overlooked would ask us to examine the distinct possibility that Jesus was born as we and as he probably was called Jeshua ben Joseph or in today's language Jesus son of Joseph he began an enlightened journey into the spiritual foundation of his own underpinning with the truth of his God reality. The term isn't used that much anymore, at least not that often. But as with personal computers, um, you know, PCs, I like to say that Jesus tapped into the DOS of life. Remember the term before Windows? The DOS is still there, but it's now pretty well transparent unless one really goes to it on purpose. But prior to the Windows operating system, the basic language of DOS or the disk operating system was a very needful thing to know something about. I like to think that Jesus tapped into the operating system of God or source energy and from this understanding did some astonishing things uh, as seen from the standpoint of others whose awareness was not necessarily what Jesus knew to be true. And yet it is purported that he said, the things that I do, hey, you're going to do them and even greater things than these you are going to do. I paraphrase that a bit. So what about the birth stories of Matthew and Luke? Did they happen? Or were they, like the virgin birth, a replication of older stories that fed on the then accepted belief that miraculous people must be miraculously born? It really doesn't matter, says I. For I think that really if anyone would sit down with the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and attempt to mesh everything in a timeline, a big problem would arise. Matthew's emphasis, along with the birth of Jesus, is on Joseph's discovery that his wife's pregnancy was because of an activity of not man, he was told, but of the Holy Spirit, quoting an Old Testament prophecy of um, a virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son. Also to be found in Matthew is the story of the wise men, the Magi, their encounter with Herod, a star that presumably only they could see, the gifts they brought, and an angelic instruction to go to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. Luke's emphasis, along with the birth of Jesus, is the birth of John to aging parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
Zachariah prayed for a son. I don't know whether he got Elizabeth's permission to do that or not. The angel Gabriel is a part of her, this, in, this gospel, announcing Mary's encounter with the Holy Spirit, the impending birth of her son, a census that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, the inn that had no room, the shepherds visited by angels announcing the birth of Jesus and their appearance at the major scene. Now we look at a crash or a nativity scene here represented under the tree or anywhere else in our community or the world where they do this kind of thing. And as you look at it, you know, it's sort of like, hail, hail, the gang's all there. As if everyone read the memo and showed up complete with cattle and sheep. Now, do we know what happened really? Of course not. Some even speculate that the very birth of Jesus was fabricated, embellished, and enhanced, perhaps even undoubtedly, but fabricated. I don't think so. Yet like Chopra's book, The Third Jesus, we actually know so little about the first Jesus or the man who lived 2,000 years ago. And mostly what we think we know about him, this being true, I think we could say for the majority of our Christian compatriots, what we think we know is more the spin on what has been put upon his life and teachings than probably what actually took place. This is so true about our Christmas songs where people, many people, I think sort of subconsciously find their reinforcement as to what they believe. The only begotten Son of God who was destined to suffer greatly in order apparently to satisfy God who from this understanding really had never gotten over Adam and Eve's transgression. Does that make any sense? And it is as well to accept the manger scene that is oft repeated as accurate and literal. Or we can look at the idea behind the story which is to view it metaphysically. Now, remember as we do this, we are dealing only with our own selves, right here in the now. We use what happened or is purported to have happened as the basis for this journey into the self, but it is always us and it is always now. Notwithstanding the physiology of the event that I don't really believe happened, the Mary of our inner story is the feminine feeling nature within us. And like the Bible speaks of Mary's, this Mary, it is always immaculately conceived, for its origin is who we truly are, the very beingness of God that is source energy itself. So in 1854, when the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which as you know, has to do with Mary's being conceived, not Jesus, but Mary, when it was put forth by Pope Pius IX, he undoubtedly tapped into a level of beingness that he felt, however, had to be projected away from each and every person uh, fulfilling that role as being immaculately conceived, for it was a basic tenet of the church that each was a sinner, 
and therefore projected into the, the, the conception moment of the mother of Jesus, also called the mother of God, and sadly, the mother of sorrows, so as to make even more credible the extended belief and teaching of the virgin birth. So what does this inner feminine side of our being do? Well, at the right moment, Mary, feeling, has an encounter with thinking or Joseph, and a period of gestation begins that culminates in the birth of a deeper understanding, a deeper expression of our true reality, an idea that is called Christ. As we view scripture, it appears as if this is only a one-time happening or event. But in truth, these moments, remember now, we're talking about us and now, these moments take place as often as we consciously allow a reflection upon our God self to take us to new heights, to new depths of understanding, to new places of love and joy that only we can reflect upon as individuals. Prior to these births of new awareness, new levels, it is interesting that a journey appears to be required. Scripturally, it was from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south, about 90 miles. With Mary, the process of birth was eminent, which means for this repeatable cycle within us, we have been focused on an awakening or deepening process. Yet unlike the development of a human fetus, this need not be a nine-month experience. It can be nine days, nine moments, nine seconds. And now a final effort is part of this process. And the scriptural reference is from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Understand that back in this area of time, people knew and used and understood the meaning behind proper names. It, it isn't like so much us today, although if I were to say to you, Los Angeles, you would say City of Angels. You would know that. But there are so many things that, that have escaped our conscious awareness or memory. But that wasn't so during this time. Metaphysically and in the Hebrew or in the Aramaic, Nazareth represented a place in consciousness which for many forays into deeper truth, we have a pad of launch. We, we begin from this understanding. It's a place of enlightenment. It's a place of awareness. It's a place of seeking. It's a place of desire for possibilities of deepening understanding to happen within us. Bethlehem in the language simply means house of bread. And here the ideas of worthiness and, and, and expectation and, and desire for greater and wonderful moments of understanding, they mature. And like a loaf of bread prior to baking, rise to full size and stature. The inn where entrance was refused is a gentle reminder to us to never look for outer support for our spiritual journeys into insightfulness and into what I call possibilities overlooked as we explore ever-deepening understanding to our oneness. Some cannot find support from their families, let alone others whose awareness of their own religiosity proclaims that only they are right. 
if in a supportive environment in your spiritual journey, revel in it. And if not, understand that the leading edge of spirituality is never overcrowded. And the growing understanding that we are source energy and physicality isn't retrograde thinking. Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, and in that time frame, a newborn traditionally was tightly wrapped in cloth with arms down at the side and legs outstretched. Notwithstanding the origins of this custom, cannot we see the possibility overlooked that this tells us to keep any new idea of our spirituality swaddled or tightly protected until it is strong enough to withstand the doubts and fears of all the years? And shortly after the birth, an angel appeared, we are told, to Joseph and Mary, to, told them to take the baby to Egypt, where it would be safe until Herod died. Metaphysically, Egypt represents darkness or security. Again, newly grasped insights are often fragile. Have you had that experience of coming into a new understanding and tried to explain it to someone else? who might have said something like, what are you talking about, you know? And they cannot easily understand the challenges of they who know not and know not that they know not. The Magi, the wise men, the kings from distant lands came with gifts. So as we metaphysically understand this, we are not confused with now wanting someone to, outside of us to come and acknowledge the great task that we are accomplishing of birthing a new level of Christed awareness and, and bring us gifts. You'll wait a long time. Remember, all this is happening within us now. And as this Christed awareness is heightened and heightened again, made more secure within our birthing plateaus, we are exceedingly wise to surround this moment of inner equivalent with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do we know how many wise men there were on the side? No, but it has been assumed that because there were three gifts, there were three wise men. But this really isn't germane to our lesson. Gold is the gift of acknowledging ourselves as precious and worthy, beloved within the process of ever expanding, the ever expanding opportunity to express more and more of what we are. Frankincense is a sweet resin, reinforces the awareness that the journey into ever deepening awareness is marked by signposts. It is supposed to be sweet, fragrant, and joyous. If it isn't, then a new shift of thought and focus might be understood as required. Myrrh is a preservative. And it is a reminder of one of eternality, as in we can never get it wrong because we never get it done. We are eternal. And we are wise whenever we surround wonderful moments of inner revelation with these additional gifts. Shepherds are part of the story of the birth of Jesus, which was probably in the springtime and not 25th of December a date chosen because it was politically correct. It would correspond with existing calendar celebrations. However, 
within the Gospel of Luke, shepherds were present. And a shepherd consciousness, a shepherd awareness um, is something that is watchful over the process of thought. For thought is always under our purview, just not so realized by most. And a shepherd consciousness does something else if we would be aware of it. It monitors feelings and begins to recognize that any type of what we might call a negative feeling is a precursor that indicates that we are simply out of alignment with our higher self. And once we can recognize that this is what it is telling us, and we can make a scan of what we are thinking and what we are entertaining and make changes, then what we realize is that we do not have to let them go full term because resistance that we are holding within us or out of alignment feelings will eventually make their appearance in our world in a way that we will not necessarily appreciate. What is Christmas? Many things, but as concerns this lesson, it is an opportunity to internalize, invite a new level of that which we would call Christed awareness within us. It always, as always, it is an opportunity to not get overtly caught up insisting that a Norman Rockwell Christmas reappear within our lives or that we really are doing things that we do not want to do or have fulfilled. As a current New Thought writer has said concerning these things, he said, if it isn't a hell yes, then it's a hell no. You only have to do the things about which you feel good about. You're not here to please anyone else. They are there to recognize pleasure within them. You are here to recognize pleasure within you. And if you can ever do that in synchronicity with others, then that is a great joy, but not at your expense ever. It will drive you bonkers if you try. You can use an event such as Christmas to guide us inward to a place of greater alignment. It indeed will pay the rent. It indeed will soothe the body and bless the mind. Merry Christmas.